Hello and welcome to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. Conversations with inspiring business people throughout the three counties of Herefordshire, Worcestershire and Gloucestershire. And now it's time for today's episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Okay, hello and welcome to this episode of the Thriving Three Counties podcast. I'm Dan Barker and I'm here in the studio with today's guest. He's the co-founder of a local brewery based just outside of Ledbury. The beer is sold mainly within a 15 mile radius of the brewery, allowing him to meet one of his main aims of creating a local product for a local market. He's a born and bred Yorkshire man who says real ale is in his blood and his passion for beer has taken him around the world sampling ales and led him to the decision to set up a brewery and share his enthusiasm for real ale. He is Ant Stevens from Ledbury Real Ales. Hello. Hey Dan, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good. Yeah, it's a lovely yeah. day. Sun's out. It is. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? Do you sell lots of beer in this weather? Uh, it gets sales drop a little bit in this sort of weather. Do they? Yeah, people move into more colder product. They move to lager and cider. Uh, so okay. our sales do drop off slightly. Right. And it okay. picks up again when the weather. So weather like this is not brilliant. Great for the pubs though. So it's yeah, great, great yeah. for the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always think um, when it's hot in this country, everyone's like, right, let's go to the pub. And then when it's cold, everyone's, let's go to the pub. So yeah. It's pretty, pretty consistent. Supermarkets have sort of got in the middle of that, though. That right, I yeah. think since lockdown, we've seen quite a lot of people get used to doing things at home. Okay. And they've right. put their own bars in and they've done a bit more with uh, their own yeah. space. So now when we see better weather, the supermarkets pick up quite a lot of that extra trade that would have gone to the pubs. Got you. Okay, so you, yeah. you do see the supermarket trade pick up and people drink a little bit more at home. So yeah, now you mentioned I've seen a few people who've um, yeah, built sort of outdoor kitchen, barbecue areas and everything. Yeah, which which has helped us as well because they've put real ale pumps in quite a lot of these. So Excellent. We've, we've sold a bit <laughs> through, but yeah, you tend to find in this weather that yeah, the bottled colder drinks tend to be a bit more popular. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, right. Before we get started, you're at LedburyRealAles.co.uk. That's correct. So people can head there, find out what you do, yep. and uh, find out and contact you through there. They can. Terrible website. Need to spend some time on it. But yeah, <laughs> got contact details on there, and they can come straight through to the. Uh, yeah, to the, uh, yeah. And then so. you've got your Facebook, your Instagram, and your Twitter, which are all forward slash LedburyRealAles. That's correct. And we're yeah. we're a bit more active on 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 those forms okay. of social media. Yeah, okay, gotcha. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming in. Just uh, chatting before we started about the fact that you're quite busy. <laughs> yeah, two jobs is, uh, there's never enough time in the day, but you squeeze in what you can. Two full-time jobs and a family. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Fair. I'm not sure which order they come in, but let's say for now, family first, <laughs> then the other two jobs. So you grew up in Yorkshire? Yeah, I grew up in Leeds. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, Parents were in Leeds, left Leeds uh, and went to Bradford when we were sort of eight, ten. Right. And then went to university. Well, I went to college in Leeds and then and then left when I went to university at 18. So I, I was uh, in Leeds whilst growing up. Uh, okay. Where did you go to uni then? Oh, uh, back I went to Anglia Poly at Cambridge. Oh, right. Okay. So yeah. I grew up near Cambridge and I went to Leeds Uni. There you go. <laughs> we swapped lives. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Leeds was always, a f uh, it's still my... Birth town. I, I love Leeds. I was back up there the other week with work. Yeah. Any excuse to get back to Leeds, I'll go. It's a, it's a brilliant town. Yeah, I haven't been for years, actually. I'd love to go back up there. It's just the same as it was, but tidier. Tidier. <laughs> yeah, still, still the same. Yeah, yeah. It's got a good sort of atmosphere, hasn't it, somehow? It's good vibe. Actually, the brewing scene up in Leeds has, has sort of gone a bit nuts. Both Leeds and Manchester brewing scene last 10 years has been growing and growing. Right, okay. There's probably 175 breweries now in Yorkshire alone. Well, uh, what, what are we in Herefordshire? 10, 11, 12. Yeah. Uh, but yes, York, Yorkshire's really taken that sort of brewing and craft beer right right to its heart. So it's it's it's, it's where the real boom has been. Oh, those right, sort of okay. North, North Yorkshire towns. Oh, cool. Okay. And then, so what took you over to Bradford then? Was that parents' uh, Parents, yeah. So uh, moved house, left out, left Leeds and went over there. But I, my dad started a factory down in Leeds. He used to make industrial washing machines. Oh, right. So okay. I used to go and work for him in the sort of summer and winter holidays. And so I'd sort of always spent time down in Leeds. And as a family, we'd always been there. Okay. Family moved to Bradford and then at 18, I left and went and, and left home and never went back. Right. Okay. So, so that was his company, was it? Or? Was, yeah. Uh, a company called Meyer Engineering used to make washing machines for... A big industrial use for cleaning car parts, 
Okay. Uh, did lots of business with sort of tractor manufacturers for cleaning the parts before they got put together. Right. So okay. my summer holidays were generally spent learning welding, putting bits of machinery together, cleaning things out in a factory down okay. there. Okay. So, Probably quite yeah. handy nowadays. My welding skills were never good enough. <laughs> oh, really? No, but I think it taught me a few lessons around how to... Had to deal with people quite an early yeah. age. Lots, lots of different types of people in that business. Yeah, um, and been the been the boss's son was not a great, you know, on the shop floor was sometimes <laughs> a bit hard. Yeah, can uh, But it was a real eye opener as to, and actually working there every summer allowed me to get hands on, and it was a proper manual job, and they treated me like everybody else. Right. Okay. So it, it probably taught me a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than you know when you're growing up, you just you, know, you don't you don't know, do you? But yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you look back on it and then you realise what you learn. Yeah, <laughs> apart from welding. Apart from welding. Yeah, yeah. don't don't yeah. ever get me to weld anything. <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a go at welding actually. So. It looks a lot easier than it is. Really? Yeah. It's one of yeah. those things. That seems like it'd be cool to know how to do that. <sighs> yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I just I don't think my work was ever good enough. Right. So they only ever gave me things to weld that were on the inside of things rather than the outside. <laughs> so they, they, the experts took care of that. Fair enough. But yeah, so, good grounding. So you grew up in a house with, with a uh, you know self-employed. Yep. Mum um, was a theatre sister at Leeds General Infirmary. Right. Okay. Um, dad ran his own business. Yeah. Uh, eventually, that business got bought by a big multinational. So he ended up working for a company called Cooks and Group. Right. Okay. Um, well, we had that business until I went off to university, so sort oh, of right. 18, so what am I now, 50, close to 50, so okay. 30 years ago he, he came out of that and oh, went okay. to become, ran his own accountancy firm. Oh, right. So they, they moved down from Bradford to Hereford about six years ago now. Right, okay. So they're, they're just outside Ledbury as well. Oh, right, okay. So nice. when, when they retired, they, they moved down to be close to the grandkids. Oh, nice. Excellent. So, yeah, so I, I, my, my days in Leeds are now just spent if I go up there to see anybody with work. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there's no family really up there. Work being drinking lots of ale. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I do two jobs, as we alluded to. So yeah, yeah. I, work for, I work for an American bank called Northern Trust. Yeah. Based out in Chicago, but with a big office in London. So I'm doing a project at the minute with a couple of guys that are based up in Leeds. Uh, okay, gotcha. So my nice. other job does, though, also involve drinking. <laughs> I always go up and sample the local produce, so I can tie the two things in quite nicely. You got to, haven't you? Yeah, yeah fair enough. Nice. Okay, so um, you don't have much of a Leeds accent then, as that because you, you haven't lived there for so long. Thirty, thirty odd years of living yeah. somewhere else, I think, probably re, re, you know ruins it. You just yeah. And when I go back up to Leeds, they all accuse me of being you know southern. And when I'm down here, <laughs> no one knows where I'm from. So yeah, you can't win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Does it come back when you go up there then? Right. Like, when you come back here again, people notice it. Nah, it probably does a little bit, but not not enough that anyone would comment on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My mum's bit like my mum's American, so when she's talking to her brother and sister, and then she, you know, talks to us, then you can sort of hear a bit more of a twang. It, it does come back, <laughs> but I think it very quickly goes. Yeah, yeah. Work, working in London for twenty years, like I did before we moved back to Hereford, what, 12, 13 yeah. years ago. You're, you're so many accents that you just you, ha you sort of end up losing everything and just becoming a bit cosmopolitan yeah sure yeah. sure so what do you do out of uni then what's uh, what's your next steps uh so my degree at uni was biomedical science and microbiology right um and pretty much worked all the way through uni at uh in a couple of different um restaurants so when i left uni i went to work in norwich for mm -hmm. a uh, company called Waters Lunis, which were stockbrokers right. by the Norwich and Peter Building Society. Okay. And I stayed over there for about eight or 12 months working for them and then applied for a number of uh, management training schemes. Mm -hmm. so eventually took a management training scheme with uh, Sainsbury's okay. and worked up in East Anglia for a year with Sainsbury's and then they moved me down to Wilsdon, North London as part of that management training scheme. Okay. So I stayed with that the, the home base Will, um, Sainsbury's group for four or five years taught me about how to manage people and boxes and mm. you know ended up leaving there as a deputy store manager right okay and then took a massive pay rise and i think i went from eighteen thousand to twenty thousand a year to go and work for uh, b and q okay so i went to work for the competitors right okay. and worked sort of northwest london for b and q for a few years right okay. uh, and then eventually packed that in and um bought a pub in croydon Oh really? So okay. 
always been something I'd wanted to do. Spent too much time in sort of drinking in Soho and various places of in town, and thought we want to open and buy a cool little bar. Right. So after sort of running, being a sort of manager within Sainsbury's and Homebase and B&Q, I thought, well, run, running a pub's going to be <laughs> easy. Uh, so we bought a pub in Croydon, a friend and a chap called Simon Collinson, who ran a little um, uh, pub company called Oak Taverns, based over in Tame in Oxfordshire. Right. Okay. Uh, they got 30 pubs, I think, in the train, in that in that business. So they bought an extra one down in Croydon, which we ran. Um, and it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Really? Yeah. It, what? In what way? Oh, hours, yeah. time, people, just constantly, you got no sleep. You were doing most of the work yourself. Yeah. The, the sort of dream of thinking, look at running a pub in London, that looks really cool. And it was just <laughs> hard work. Really? Yeah. And you needed to take enough money to employ staff. And if you didn't, you did it yourself. And it, it, it was a bit of a... Croydon at the time was... Uh, a bit more interesting than it is today. It was a, a bit more rough around the edges. Right, okay. We were at the end of the sort of drinking run into Croydon. So you either got them at the beginning of the night or at the end of the night. Right. So it was busy Fridays and Saturdays and quiet the rest of the time. Really? So yeah. Tough, tough gig, actually. It was, was, was loads of fun. Yeah. Um, but actually, it was, a, it was a lot harder than I could ever envisage it being. So running, running a pub, I've always took my hat off to... <laughs> anyone that can do it and do it well because it's a it's a it's a it's constant it's constant hard work what was the sort of biggest thing you learned from that experience then never to run a pub of my own probably <laughs> um yeah i mean look i think there's there was a natural running your own business is really hard yeah uh, you know as, as anyone knows that runs their own business cash flows tight sometimes if you're in the business it's really hard to see what to do next yeah so getting yourself above and having a bit of time to sit back and look at what you should do and how do you develop the business rather than just working in the business mm -hmm. and i think that's probably what we left the pub with that we'd done too much ourselves right and so we were too busy doing things rather than sitting and managing the, mm -hmm. the business yeah so i think that was probably the biggest thing we learned was you've sometimes got to spend some money to just give yourself that breathing space yeah to sit back look at what you're doing try and take it to the next level and spot the problems, mm -hmm. spot where you're leaking a bit of cash, spot the things that you could change quickly and that low hanging fruit to try and change the business model mm -hmm. and then have a plan. We, we didn't really have a plan. We just sort of turned up on day one and went, <laughs> cool, we got a pub. Uh, and the plan was, let's bring some beer in that we like. Right, okay. And, and that, I think literally, there, there, must, there was more than that to it at the time, but it felt now, looking back, it felt like we were so underprepared. Right. Was it a freehold pub then? You weren't linked to a brewery or anything? Well, we were. It was actually owned by a, a chain of um, uh, off-licenses who'd sold the off-licenses okay. and bought themselves a chain of pubs. Okay, gotcha. Um, so it was tied to uh, Bass and Scottish and Newcastle. Right. So all of our beer had to come from those two breweries. Okay. Um, but we, because we'd been spending quite a lot of time in Soho, we, we'd been looking at all of these new brands that were premium coming to the market. Mm. And this is, you know, close to 20, 25, 20 odd years ago. So we didn't put Gordon's on the bar. We had Bombay Sapphire. Now right. at the time, now Bombay Sapphire is just another another brand on the bar. At the time, it was premium. Yeah. So we were we were we were trying to move things as if it was Soho. So we were it was lots of bottled beers of Corona and red stripe and sort of things that were slightly different that you look at now and go oh, just yeah it's just yeah. common garden product. yeah but at the time but it was something time. a bit novel yeah. and actually just didn't really work for that part of croydon we we got the wrong demographic okay so you weren't sort of listening to the customers you were sort of doing what you wanted to do we did what we wanted to do yeah. <laughs> and then very quickly you realize you've got to do what the customer wants to an extent, and then you realise that that's not really the business that you want to run. So we, we right. just we, we stepped in too soon. I think we picked the wrong venue. There's yeah. a lot of things that I think we we could have done better. So you were like what 25 or something? Uh, 25, 26. Yeah, would have been about then. Yeah, so, so quite young as well. To be good honest. age to run a pub, probably. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant. <laughs> Certain bits of it, I look back now, and it still makes me smile. Yeah, but the but the bit of running the business. I yeah, th I think we found really quite tough looking back on it. Yeah, and we were yeah. just um, we were underprepared. Even though I knew how to manage within Sainsbury's and you know how stock rotation and getting things work and retailing. Yeah, yeah and that and Sainsbury's was all about retailing. It's how do you sell stuff to people and mm -hmm. 
one of the shops I was working in down in Kensington was a million pounds a day turnover. Wow. So the volume going through that place <laughs> with no uh, warehouse space. Yeah. So what what was sold came in, had to go onto the shelves during the day. You were running night shifts. It was a it was a it was a real eye opener running that but you know, being part of that business. Yeah. And then to go off into your own business and think, well, I'm gonna use some of those skills are so completely different. Yeah. And because we were so I think we were so just involved in the business and didn't take that step back that we needed to. Yeah. We didn't put in place the things that were pretty obvious to me at the time, but we were too busy to to do it. Right. There's a few yeah. things I think we learned in that early stage. We had loads of fun. Yeah. But we didn't we didn't do it the justice that we could have done. But it's it was hard work and I think I I don't I'm still not sure I'd want to run a pub now. <laughs> even though I love going to pubs. Yeah. Let yeah. somebody else run them. So how long was the total student with the pub? Well, we had it for about a year. Um, yeah. And then Simon at Oak Taverns kept it for another 15, oh, right. 20 years or something like that within the portfolio. Okay. So he put managers into that and, and it continued to run as one of his pubs and okay. made a few quid every year and right. you know, did, did all right. But he put some... I would say he put some more experienced pub managers in there uh, <laughs> that knew the basics of how to run a pub, successful pub business. Yeah. Took yeah. out the amateurs from, you know, and put some proper people in. So uh, as, as a business, it's, it's, the business is still there. And actually, weirdly, it was one of Sainsbury's original shops. Right. So the pub itself, when it was built, was, a, was one of the original Sainsbury's off-license type places that right. was on the high street down in Croydon. Gotcha. And it's still got all the Sainsbury's flooring in, and so there was a there was a nice little link between my previous <laughs> job and that job. But yeah, it's, it was still there for a while. Uh, it's now a trendy bar, probably makes a fortune. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm going to Croydon next week, actually. So I'll, uh, I'll check it. it out. It's called Barcode now. Barcode down in South Croydon. It's it's probably making a fortune. <laughs> yeah, right time, wrong wrong place. Yeah, sounds like you were a bit ahead of. Uh, but ahead of your time now, so <laughs> I'd like of, to think so but <laughs> ahead of the curve I'm not sure we were <laughs> but let's say so yeah. yeah we'll put that in we'll, we'll put, put that, that in the podcast yeah, okay so where did you go off that and once you decided that was uh, so for a move I think I was sort of quite lucky at this point um, one of my regulars in the pub was a chap called Steve Kirby Right. And he was the head of operations for, at the time what was Mercury Asset Management so one of the biggest UK fund managers Right. Uh, and Steve drank in the pub occasionally and said to me, if you ever leave this, I'll take you on in, in my business. Right. Uh, and I'd had a bit of background knowledge from, um, from working at the stockbrokers in Norwich. So I sort of knew yeah. a little bit about financial markets and always had an interest in it. Right. So I finished with the pub and Steve offered me a job. So I went and became a temporary worker in a performance and risk group for Mercury Asset Management. Right, okay. Um, Started working there. That business was bought by Merrill Lynch um, and became Merrill Lynch Mercury. And I think Mercury at the time had probably got 10% of all assets of the UK FTSE 100. So it was a big, it was a big fund management house. Mm. And I knew nothing about performance and risk. Uh, and then everybody else seemed to leave and I became the head of performance for the international business unit. <laughs> sort of self-taught myself a bit of right. performance and risk. And I was surrounded by some really good people who, who looked after me. Right. Uh, and was at Mercury for three or four years in the end right okay. running their performance team okay uh which you know was a a bit of a surprise to, to go into a business like that but was purely down to the fact that i'd met steve yeah. he knew he knew that i was i guess a hard worker yeah and that i'd fit into the group and so mm. took a punt and uh fingers crossed it sort of it worked out fair play so it sounds like you sort of uh i don't know you're kind of up for trying things that you maybe didn't know much about like sort of just going in and giving it a go do you think that's sort of Definitely. from your upbringing a bit yeah I think it, I've always I'd also one of my uncles worked for BT for 25 years 35 right. years I can't you know Uncle Peter yeah. Yeah. and actually and then when he left went off and became a telecom engineer of his own right. and I'd sort of always looked at those people who had a job that he loved for 30 odd years and thought actually I could never do that I could yeah. never be in the same place once but what I found through my early parts of my career is I was always just lucky right place right time so I'm going to say right. it was luck yeah and finding somebody that can offer you something the the, the difficulty is taking it mm -hmm. and 
and and I, and we talked about this slightly earlier but as you get older your ability to take those risks change mm. and you become slightly more conservative in your approach to to risk mm. and at the time what, what was the risk you know the risk yeah, for me to yeah. jump jobs and try something new we'd left the pub I was staying at my now wife's house so I, I was paying a little bit of rent yeah um, but there was no real risk the risk was they didn't like me I was no good at it and they asked me to leave as a temp and I would have gone yeah. off and found something else so I think the, the profile of doing new stuff to me was quite interesting yeah. learning new things is definitely you know something I love to do mm. but the risk profile was pretty low because mm. you know th there were plenty of other jobs around that I could have gone to and I don't know that I'd worked in a restaurant for two years over university yeah. close to three so go and get a job in a restaurant so it never bothered me that there wouldn't be work yeah. or, or an income so I think I'd just give it a go it was you know why not <laughs> but that can still bother people even you know some people in a similar situation wouldn't wouldn't have the confidence to take you know to try it yeah, and, and, you know, maybe there's, you know, the, the, the fear of failure has never really bothered me too much. Right. Um, I don't think we really had, you know, money was never that important from a, you know, you've got enough money to put a roof over your head and to feed yourself. That was sort of at the time okay. Yeah. And I guess ex-student, a few years out of university, you, you don't, I don't think I knew any different. So mm. it wasn't like we'd always had stuff that I needed. Yeah. So I think yeah. I was driving around in an old... I was driving around in an old um, British Leyland metro that had rusted through. It had cost my parents a few quid, and I think it was worth nothing. Yeah. And I think in the back I'd got a video recorder and a probably a duvet, yeah. and that was my entire <laughs> and that was my life in the back of that car. So yeah. I think it was just a slightly different time. I didn't, you know. So the confidence thing of doing it was, yeah, I'd, you know, I've always been quite good at blagging things, I guess. And moving into a bank for the first time and becoming the head of performance for the international business. Yeah, I guess you've got to have a bit of confidence <laughs> to be able to get away with that. You got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, um, yeah, which you need when you do your own thing as well. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Now, I think I'm probably just a bit older now, and I probably try and blag things a bit less. <laughs> but I've always been quite good at learning things that I found interesting, and I'm. All, I think I've always been quite good at just getting my head in and doing some research and finding some people that know more than right. me. And it's never bothered me that I can ask. I can ask loads of questions. Yeah, and then you go and learn stuff, and you know, part of the, I think the brewing thing has been very much part of that. So, mm. I guess my career had always been part of finding out new things was quite important to me. Yeah, and maybe that's why my early career I moved jobs quite often because mm -hmm. once you've done it for two or three years, I think I probably thought I was amazing and I'd done it, and I could <laughs> go and do something else. Whereas actually, on hindsight, you've done a little bit done of it. it. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. it was enough to make me then, yeah. you know, to get to the next step. Yeah, okay, okay. So then, where'd you go after that? <laughs> so, after the pub, went to Merrill Lynch. Um, Merrill's, I was at for about four years. Uh, and then I went across to the States for a little while. Right. So, I joined a company called Intersect Research, which was a company I'd been doing some work with whilst at, at Mercury Asset Management. Uh, they got an office in London and an office over in Stamford, Connecticut. Right. So, they took me on as one of their performance um I was I was explaining how different companies' performance was generated. So okay. lots of people with the same types of portfolios. Um, we'd look at, we'd analyze those portfolios and see which ones were doing better than others and why. Mm -hmm. And then that was a research product that was then sold to fund managers to say, well, these top five fund managers here are doing this and this is how they're managing right. their money and this is what they're investing in. These are at the bottom are not doing that. So it was more of a research job. Right. And part of that was split uh, between here and um, in London, um, in the UK, and and in Stamford, Connecticut. So I got to spend a bit of time in the in the states. And Stamford, Connecticut, is just north of New York. Mm -hmm. So a couple of hours north of New York on the train right, yeah, in Stamford. Yeah. And that was a, that was interesting because it then got me into I would say a sale, a pure sales role. There was okay. there was some research, but it was it was a sales job selling research to fund managers. Okay. So lots of people that I'd sort of met within the business at Mercury then going and talking to those people about buying research. Mm -hmm. um, so that lasted two or three years um, and was actually a really good, that was really interesting. Just analyzing other people's, what yeah, they did, but, yeah. looking at what was the best and the worst and why certain things worked and why certain things didn't. 
Um, and then in digging into the detail as to exactly what that individual fund was doing. So it allowed me to do a bit more research and that was the job, it was analytics. Thinking about what happened if somebody did something and what was the, what was the outcome of that gonna be. Okay. And I think that's that's that innovation thinking or the, the way of being able to think slightly differently has sort of helped me in my current careers mm-hmm. around what I'm doing now with both the brewery and, and with Northern Trust. So I think at that point I started to think slightly more um, maybe laterally about how things could be done differently. I think okay. that, that role was really good for me. Yeah, sounds pretty interesting. So you're actually like looking at a company and sort of going into quite a lot of detail about what they're doing, decisions they're making and their sort of strategy and then analysing that and, and reporting on it all against the rest of the companies in that portfolio. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So okay. it allowed me to start understanding companies' balance sheet information Mm-hmm. start to dig into why a company was doing certain things within it, what they were actually doing, why they were successful, right. uh, why they weren't successful in some cases, and, and then trying to look at peers and saying, well, these groups here are all doing the same things. They're all doing this type of research. They're all investing in this way. Mm. And right now, that's popular. Right. And so it, I think it was, again, I, I'm not sure I even realized at the time I was learning. Yeah. It was just interesting. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. 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 So we stuck with that for a bit, and then I was picked up by a UK, uh, actually by a company called um, Bank of New York, which was an American custody house, similar to Northern Trust I work in now, but was one of their UK subsidiaries. Right. It was a company called Caps, based in Leeds, um, which was originally called Combined Actual Performance Services, which was a service set up by four of the big UK audit firms to provide performance and risk services to pension funds. Okay. So predominantly pension funds. So big UK corporate pension funds could go to these guys and say, I've got 10 fund managers managing my money. Mm. Which ones are doing good? Which ones are doing bad? Should I be sacking some of these? What's my asset allocation? What should I be thinking about? So in today's world, you'd be thinking about, do I look at cryptocurrencies? Do, do I look at property compared to infrastructure? Should I be investing in the new the building of bridges and then charging the toll? So it was all about asset allocation. Um, right. And they employed me to manage um, a group of their clients down in, in London. So okay. I spent, I then got to spend a bit of time back up in Leeds, which was you know, perfect for me. Yeah, yeah. And then that was three or four years of managing those client relationships and then building clients out, looking at new product. What product should we build? How should we deliver that to them? What what does that need to look like? Okay. So I got into a product role there as well as a sort of relationship management role. Right. Okay. okay. All still finance. Yeah. Yeah. But but uh, but in I say still a bit of finance that's quite niche. Mm-hmm. Still not very many people that sort of understand how to calculate, you know, the performance of an asset or the performance of a portfolio and then compare it to other things. Yeah. 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 So I worked with them for a couple of years. Um, and then sort of had enough. I think I had a bit of a, I, my wife one, one day just said to me, you're miserable. And I can tell you're miserable because you've right. stopped talking to me. Right. And you just come home and it, you're just miserable. Yeah. So what do you want to do? And I was like, yeah, I'm miserable, completely miserable. The the job was fine, but was just all encompassing. And, I, and I'd right. sort of lost the, lost the mojo. Okay. So yeah. she could get, she was working for the commission for health improvement. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was a government organization looking at health service. Um, and they offered her a 12-month secondment. Mm-hmm. So I packed my job in, phoned my boss and said, I don't want to do this anymore. We, we parted company and we went traveling. Nice. And we spent the <laughs> best part of, what, 8, 10, 12 months, you know, traveling around the world. Okay, cool. It's a complete, complete break and reset. And, uh... Complete break. Uh, I really struggled First couple of months, couldn't get my yeah. head around the fact that I wasn't at home working, paying the bills, <laughs> paying the mortgage. Yeah. She instantly was just, we're traveling, forget about it. There was somebody Instant. rented our house, so the mortgage was being paid, the bills were being paid. I didn't need to worry. Right. But it still bothered me that I wasn't, you know, the breadwinner and we'd done this, um, which was about, what, four, 12, 14 years ago, 14, 15 years ago. Okay. And um, just couldn't get my head around it for for a while and I wanted to plan everything and know what I was spending and what I was going to do all day long and Kate was like you just got to relax <laughs> just <laughs> stop worrying it's so we good. started uh, traveling started in the Bahamas accidentally a friend was getting married right. um, and so we started our trip there 
uh, and then went up to Alaska, spent a few months nice. in Alaska, yeah. which was a, a, a beautiful, beautiful part of the world. Very few people, mm. not, a, you know, just space, loads of space. And then worked our way down the west coast of the States, Vegas, and then across to Australia, New Zealand. Um, so we played, I was playing a bit of poker at the time. So we sort of made a bit of money playing poker <laughs> as we went around the world and nice. sort of earned enough just to, you know, just to cover cover the Keep costs, going. really. It's funny, isn't it? Like, yeah, when I when I left my job and started doing this full time, I sort of, and I probably still do find it a bit difficult sometimes, thinking that you should be working from, you know, nine to five. And if you're not, you start getting a bit twitchy and kind of like, oh, I should be someone, someone's going to be thinking that I should be working. It's hard to get out of, isn't it? That yeah, because you've been so told that that's how life works, yeah. and you log on in the morning and you log off now. And I, and I think it's probably worse now than it was, you know, back then because you you now got twenty four seven social media. Your phone goes constantly. Yeah. Yeah. At least in those days, you could switch your computer off at the office and you went yeah. home and no one could contact you if you didn't want to be contacted. Yeah. Now yeah. you're constantly, you know, someone's after you all the time. Yeah. And when do you yeah, stop? It's different. You know, if you're, yeah. if, especially if you've been self-employed, mm. you know, we, you know it here and we know it with the brewery. If somebody phones and says that they want to buy something from you, <laughs> yeah. you know, sort of at any point in the day, you, you want to make your customer happy. Yeah. But when do you draw the line between, you know, switching off time? Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? It's tricky. I know I've had, yeah, clients call me at sort of nine o'clock at night and, you know, if they're a really good client, you're kind of thinking, well, better, I'll probably better just answer it. And then you think, well, I've just missed that time with my wife. You kind of have to make a proactive decision, don't you, to you do. to stop. Whereas, like you said, in the past, you, you just stopped automatically because you couldn't do anything else. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I wonder if that, that's the way that things are now, is that people, because they've, because life has changed over the last few years, people don't really think now that when they're sat sending a text message or something, it's just it's just a text message they're sending. Mm. They don't know what that does when it drops into your inbox and you have yeah. to deal with it because it's your time. Yeah. So I, I think people have just slightly changed in the way that they think and they don't they don't think we we had a thing at work where they said don't send an email now outside of those hours to somebody. Right. Because yeah. you don't want them to have to access it. So within the bank they're trying to protect people's right. evenings and weekends a little bit by saying, well, actually, if you're at home and your laptop's on, every time you walk past your laptop, you're tempted to do another bit of work. Mm. So they're saying, just switch it off. So don't don't send anything. Wait till the morning. Yeah. And I think the French have just said, you're not allowed to. As a boss, <laughs> you are now not, you are legally now not allowed to send your employees anything about work after work hours are finished. Oh. Well. So... <laughs> typically the French have decided to regulate that yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it, but I think that's probably a, if you look at it it's, it's, it's to give people a break from their, yeah. from their job which are now can be 24-7 yeah yeah you do need it I suppose don't you you need to you need to have a mental break and um, yeah interesting so when you came back from travelling then is that when you went into your current Pretty much. So, so I came back from traveling and I thought I would attempt to convince my wife that being a professional poker player was a great idea. <laughs> yeah. Just, sorry, one question on the poker, going yeah. back to that. How do you like find places? To, how does it work? I don't know anything about poker. When you're traveling, yep. you know, how do you just go and make money playing poker? You just find some people in a bar and yeah, no, um, play poker. <laughs> Sometimes you do. Uh, no, it's all it's a bit more regulated than that in most right. places. So uh, we'd sort of knew where we were traveling. And most cities now have got big casinos and in the casinos they've got poker rooms. Okay. So 15 years ago, po poker became, you know, sort of the American World Series of Poker chap called Chris Moneymaker won it and he was right. a he was a not a professional. Right. Okay. And he won a few million quid. And that that sort of started to trigger a really large influx of people playing poker. Right. Okay. And to tie that up with the internet becoming better, mm. you you could play poker online. Mm. So the, the there definitely was a boom in in playing poker. So okay. most places you went to at the time had either got some pub poker going on or the casino in the town had got poker so when we were we were in vegas pretty much everywhere it's got a poker <laughs> yeah. room so you can play poker all day long right. 24 hours a day yeah. in across multiple places and then when you got across into australia new zealand pretty much every major town has got a 
poker room in a casino okay. or, a, or a dedicated poker room. So you, you can find, as my wife will tell you, you can find poker anywhere. <laughs> Even when she's saying you can't find poker in this town, we can spend the night together. I'd find a poker room. So, I was going to say, yeah, how did that work? You went I, off to play poker, was she? She was, uh, she, was, she was very tolerant of me and has been all my life. So Kate, Kate's brilliant. She, she, knows, she knows what I'm like. And, it, and, I, if, and my view was, whilst we were traveling, I wanted to earn enough money per hour. So I'd set myself with an hourly rate. And I said, I want to earn 10, 12 pounds an hour. Right. So as soon as I'd earn 10, 12 pounds an hour, then I'd leave the table. Okay. So I remember going, and I so I might play for four or five hours, and right. then go off, and you know. So if I but if I won fifty pounds in the first ten minutes, I'd pick money up and go right, off and, and go and see Kate. So we 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 tried to be a bit more sensible. <laughs> there, there were a few late late sessions, but nothing nothing horrendous, and we we had a lovely Crazy. time. So it, it didn't <laughs> get in the way. So then you came back and decided. I thought I'd give it a go. Poker. Yeah, but I, I realised quite quickly that I had not got the mentality for it. Right. So quite a lot of poker players are either very, very good, maths-wise, they know exactly what they're doing, you, and it's all about playing the right number of hands and knowing what to do in certain situations. Uh, and they were very good, and I wasn't good enough. Right. So mm -hmm. I played a little bit at a couple of casinos in London, hmm. and then realised quite quickly that I was never going to make a living out of this. Right. Okay. So my old boss that I used to work with at Mercury, and, and a chap called Jim Trotter, um, he phoned me up. He was working for Northern Trust. This is probably 12 years ago now. Mm. And he said, I've got a temp job for you. Why don't you come work for me for a year? I've got a client that needs looking after. Perfect for you to manage that. Mm. Come and join me for a year. And I was umming and ahhing about what to do. And I said to Jim, I was wanting to leave London and move to Herefordshire. Kate and I got married here 20 odd years ago. Okay. We got married in Ross and Wye. She's from there. She's, yeah, she's got t close ties to Ross. Kate's mother's okay. still in Ross. Right. Kids had both been, you know, both christened over here. So yeah. we knew we wanted to come here eventually. You know, I certainly did. Mm. So I'd made an agreement with Jim that if he took me on, that I would uh, eventually come here. So part of the deal was he gave me a three-day-a-week London job and two days a week working from home. Cool. So it allowed us to sell a place in London, move back to Herefordshire, or move to Herefordshire. Mm -hmm. And then I commuted into London on a Monday night came home on a Thursday night for probably the best part of five, six years. Right, okay. Because I obviously didn't leave after the year, <laughs> uh, stupidly. Uh, and Northern is one of those companies that just has given me, I guess in my early career, I moved companies to find different jobs. Yeah. Northern allowed me to move jobs quite frequently within the company. Right. So okay. I started off managing one of their um, big relationships within the performance group. I became head of product for the performance business. I went to work in a performance, uh, in a role looking at all the bank's products. Mm -hmm. So everything that the bank offered. And then I moved into a uh, innovation role. Right. So building technology or building products from new technologies. Okay. So I've been doing that the last four or five years and it's been cool. quite interesting. So it's allowed me to get involved in crypto and blockchain and distributed ledgers, mm -hmm. uh, AI from a, um, from a technology point of view. And they give me pretty much old school R and D shop. They say, "Well, go off and do what you want one day a week." Pretty much. Nice. So me and my team have always had a day where we've looked at our lives and gone, "Well, what's interesting?" Right. So I've spent a bit of time looking at automation of dairy farms. Right. Okay. Um, because it's interesting. I'm looking at a solar paving firm at the moment who are looking at putting solar panels into into the roadways. And my boss right. has always given me that ability to go off and find out interesting stuff. Okay, nice. and it and it sort of links in very neatly with the brewery because that's sort of what I've been doing within the brewery. Mm -hmm. So in parallel to those two jobs, I'm in the innovation group within a bank looking at what things look like in ten, fifteen years' time for finance. Mm. Within the brewery, I'm looking at you know working with a lot of the local hop farmers around their hop development program. Mm -hmm. So when they're starting to go through what should a new hop look like, that process could take ten years. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, they're trying to fast track that down and get that to a four or five year window so that as right. consumer tastes change, mm -hmm. they can start to deliver new hops with different flavor profiles into the market a lot quicker. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so we, we're involved in that program, which is pretty much all based in Herefordshire. Right, okay. Okay, and so when did you start the brewery then? 12 years ago. 
Um, oh, so at that time when you took on that job, you that was, yeah, yeah, we moved here pretty much straight away, and we set the brewery up. But the brewery at the time was we had a shed in the garden, and I said to Kate, "I'm going to buy this brewery," and it turned up, and she thought it was enormous, and you know, it was a one-barrel brewery, so it makes 244 pints of brew. Right. Uh, we we made we brewed on it, you know, every now and again. We so we we get we sold beer directly to the Oak in Stapleo. Mm. Um, they took us on Hilton that run that owns a pub there. Hilton and Julie have been brilliant. We've been on right. the bar there f- for twelve years. Right. Uh, we went through. We never found anybody for five, six, seven years. We never picked the phone up. So anyone wanted beer, they'd call us. Right. And predominantly, it was landlords going for dinner in other pubs. Would okay. Try our beer and then phone us and say, "Would you go on the bar?" Okay. So for the first few years, it was totally organic. Wasn't really. We didn't. I just didn't have time to do. You know, I was away three days a week in London, yeah, so yeah. we just didn't have enough time to run it as a proper business. Yeah. So sure. we we ran it as a. I'm going to say a hobby, but you know, yeah, it, it's certainly not that now. No. Uh, but it allowed us to to make some mistakes early doors. Mm-hmm. Uh, our beer that we didn't like, we just put straight down the drain. There was no financial pressure because we'd got the other job, job that was yeah, allowing yeah. me to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So everything that we did was was a bit methodical, sensible, mm-hmm. one change at a time. That sort of I'm a sort of scientist by you know from university. I did biomedical science and microbiology. Yeah. So actually, this is about the first thing I've ever done where my degree has become. <laughs> useful i was going to say that earlier that yeah you yeah. did nothing to do with your degree whatsoever no and i always enjoyed what i did as my degree but now yeah. in brewing it's it's pretty much everything about yeast management is the biology side of things you get some yeah. chemistry in there for what's going on within the it's just it, it just all neatly falls together yeah, yeah. so i i, I it, it's a lovely part of the business to, it's a lovely business to be in mm-hmm. uh, but for the first few years we didn't treat it as a business we treated it as a as a hobby but because i did i could make sure that i could produce the best product possible mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. the risk of having to make money yeah you know which is a brilliant lovely position to be in yeah. so it allowed me to just use the best product i could buy the best yeah. materials i could buy only sell to the pubs that I really wanted to sell to because mm. they understood beer or they understood what Kate and I were doing. And so it was a real partnership. And that's why I think we've been in some of the pubs we've been selling to for, you know, 10 years plus. Yeah. It's because that, that you build that relationship up and they know we care about our product and they know it's, you know, we're constantly thrive, striving to make it better. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we were lucky we could do it, you know, as a... You know, I wasn't worried about being paid because nor the trust paying the bills. Yeah, yeah. So I could, if I didn't like it, went down the drain. Mm, I wasn't mm. forced to think about trying to sell something we weren't happy with, which quite a lot of other companies are not in the same position. So we were very lucky. Yeah, yeah. Is, it, is that what you would sort of suggest to people to do if they have like a, you know, a hobby thing that they're into that they're looking to turn it into something? To do it like that on the side for for a while until you tried and tested it, or do you think looking back you would do it any other way? Oh, I think well, if I look at those people who've really gone for it, certainly in the brewing space, you know, there's a number of companies out there that just went big early. So we mm-hmm. we'd been chatting with a chap in London called Duncan Sandbrook, mm-hmm. and Sandbrook owned Sandbrook's Brewery, took some funding, went big, mm-hmm. and best decision i think he ever made right we've got a big brewery now in london based down in wandsworth lovely product um great guy lovely business we went the opposite way because we could have done exactly the same as duncan and put, yeah. you know put a million quid into a brewery in north london and done the same thing at the same time and i didn't think i'd got the courage to take that risk that right. financial risk certainly yeah. so we we hothoused in a small shed in herefordshire and grew organically yeah. So, but how many breweries probably opened up and did what we did and, you know, have also got... So I think it really depends on lifestyle, what, what mm. you want to get from it. Mm. But I think part of our problem why we hadn't grown quickly enough in the early days is you know, th- there was A, the time spent. How much time do you spend between the two? Mm. But if you're 100% focused on something and that is your life, you will do more to drive it. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think we'd lacked that because I didn't need to. Yeah. So all those decisions that would take you, you know, an evening to come up with the answer because 
your business needs you to do so yeah i can take a week or a month yeah. you know yeah. the, the difference there i think so i think I, i'm not sure which is the right way yeah. um, but i know our, what ours has done has allowed us to build a better product but the business itself is still way smaller than it probably would have been yeah or it's here and it might not have been because we might have run out of money yeah, yeah, yeah you know, just you don't, don't know, do it. Yeah, it's a hard question to answer, really, because, it, like you said, it's different for everyone, and it, is, it does come down to lifestyle. And, you know, yeah, like I was saying to you earlier, I didn't just jump in straight away. I did it on the side for ages because I, I had to to support the, the family and everything. And then, uh, you know, you do what you have to do, don't you? You do. <laughs> and, th- and there's other things that come along that then can distract you. Yeah. And I think that's that comes back to that point we were talking about earlier around, focus you know mm. you, how how can you focus when you've got other distractions and what takes your time and what yeah. should you be thinking now we've always struggled about trying to figure out where the business should be and those big decisions about moving to the next step mm. and that organic growth of a business is fine but it generally is a bit slow and then you get a little hurdle you get across so you fix that hurdle you move to the next problem statement that might happen in three months but you you sort of you slowly get to those problems. Yeah. What we're, you know, with the business at the minute, we're thinking, do we just go big? Right. Now that's a big decision because then you've got to put in a big unit somewhere. You've got, mm. to, you've got to buy more stainless steel. You've got to then go and find yeah. somebody that's going to sell that beer. You know, you've got to sell, sell to another bunch of pubs. Mm. That jump takes the planning. Mm. And if you don't take a step back at that stage and do that planning properly, you could make some mistakes. And I think that's that's the difference of trying to figure out that if, which way do you do it? I, I don't know which way is best. Organic is nice because it's grow, it's slow, you can control it. Yeah. Um, but I'm not sure that you'll ever get big unless you, you know, take the risk. Yeah. Take a big jump. Do you ever feel frustrated with slow growth? Too tired, <laughs> I think, to take, to feel frustrated. I think I feel tiredness. Uh, no. Because I know I can cope with anything. I can cope with the business in the size that it is. And we, we've yeah. got 30 pubs where we're permanent on the bar. Yeah. So we're not a small business. Yeah. Um, but if we pick up an extra pub or two, I can cope with that. And I know that I can keep my quality and consistency the same, mm-hmm. which is really important. You know, yeah. From a small business, been on the bar for 10 years plus in certain pubs, that's unusual because most breweries go through ups and downs and the beer quality changes right okay. we've never really had to deal with that because we've been able to manage that process mm-hmm. you know fingers crossed we continue to do that well so it means that we've been on we've got pubs you know that have been really good to us and looked after us and looked after our product and have been a, a part of that journey mm-hmm. it would be very different if those if the market was chopping and changing our beer off the bar all the time mm-hmm. because then we'd have to go out and find more pubs and sell to and mm-hmm. so that organic growth is quite easy to deal with when it's a pub or two every you know quarter that comes onto the books yeah okay gotcha. if we drop if we had an extra 10 pubs that wanted to come onto the books so you know we wouldn't be able to cope right okay. so at that point you'd have to start we'd either have to think about jumping up quicker or saying saying no mm. and mm. my first point well i think we'd say no and then you know, again, so my, my conservativeness maybe in this business is a bit of an inhibitor to growth. Yeah, okay, okay. It's a tough balance though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and I'm never going to get it right. <laughs> no. Um, and I'm not sure I could even give anyone any advice as to, you know, why this works or doesn't work. Yeah, there's so, so many factors that go into it. The best bit, when, when I was sort of, you know, trying to get my head into learning how to be self-employed and you know doing all that that career change but i think one of the best things i ever heard was that no one knows what they're doing and so you know from that respect don't worry about it just go and have a go and then yeah <laughs> and, and i think if you listen to somebody else they're going to tell you the things that they remember which yeah. are either the good things or the really bad things <laughs> the stuff in the middle they're not you know they don't tell you do they so you've got to i mean my view would be ask lots of questions of lots of different people yeah. who have done it so when i started to brew i went off to five six seven eight breweries and brewed with them gave up my time went to right. see them gave my time for free to them and their business they they gave me some of their time and talked to me about what they did they brewed with me they mm. you know they let me get involved so you could see from different businesses what you would do yourself because mm-hmm. you thought you could do it differently better mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. and th- some of the things you looked at and went wow that's you know so that, that immersing yourself in that business 
And brewing's sort of easy because everyone's lovely in the brewing world. Right. Everyone will help you and everyone wants to make better beer. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I think there's different, different industries are different. Yeah. But it allowed me to just immerse myself and decide what I wanted to do and see some of the things I didn't like. I think the biggest thing for running my own business, and you'll know this, is the books and tax <laughs> and you know the amount of time and effort that just the admin yeah, of running yeah. a business costs yeah. and takes up, and you can't not do it. Yeah, because you, yeah. and that that I think has really surprised me, just how much effort and time, just the general day to day managing stock and people and tax and yeah, yeah, yeah. that that was a bit of a bit of an eye opener. <laughs> so like. I, I, what I can't quite get my head around is how you're managing to do so much because you don't. Uh, you said you're tired, but you seem like pretty chilled, pretty under control and stuff. But you're basically, like you said at the beginning, doing two full-time jobs: one full-time, high-level, finance-based kind of London job, remotely, and one running a business with seven employees. What's your schedule like? Yeah, so... <laughs> do you just drink beer to get through it? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, I think it's just... And this, is, I think, is that, that organic piece. Yeah. This, it's just crept up. This Sometimes, is just what right, I do. Yeah, okay. So I, I can't ever tell you that there was a time that I was doing X and then I was doing Y and I made that conscious decision. Yeah. You just constantly do stuff. Mm. Now, I'm surrounded by some really good people. Okay. So we made a decision about three years ago to change the brewing staff from some full-time work to, to more part-time. So mm. we've got more people surrounding us. Mm. Um, Johnny came on to brew with us. Um, Johnny had been at running the Hereford Beer House. So he'd run his own business. Right. Um, he's so into his beer. He knows yeah, everybody in the business. And he's, you know, he's, he's been a massive benefit to us as a business. Um, he and I brew actually very similar. We, we're very similar in the way that we brew. So we know the product is the same, depending on whether right. he or I brew. But he's taken a big amount of work off my shoulders on the brewing side okay um and he's constantly wanting to improve and change so mm. in the same way that we are so we, we get on very well and that's been a massive help and then we've brought on four or five part-timers who are doing two three days a week mm -hmm. um who either we're training up which you know we're helping them along their you know their journey so there's a couple of lads that work at the king's head in ross and Wye. Mm -hmm. they're putting their own brewery in they've put their own brewery in and they're starting to brew on that so okay. rob, rob and jamie have been been with us for 12 months okay. a bit longer right. with, with with rob so you know there's a there's a bit more there going through so the, the team has become more um i guess a bit broader a bit more depth Mm -hmm. so I can rely on more people to do some of the day-to-day -day. okay um, yeah. it's given me a bit more time to step back with Kate and look at the business and say yeah. what do we want yeah uh, we're bringing somebody in at the minute to take on some of Kate's role in the office to give her okay. some time to do some of the project work yeah so I think it has do I have enough there's not enough time in the day <laughs> um, and that part of the problem is I don't see my clients often enough right and if we do, we take the kids to the pub for dinner and we go and see a pub and then yeah. the kids hate me because I'm chatting to another landlord in another <laughs> pub. So the balance is terrible. Right. Okay. And I'd say that that's probably fair. My kids have suffered a lot by being dragged into pubs, you know, right. two nights a week to go and see, you know, see landlords. And they, they don't want to, they don't want that. They want their dad to spend some right. time with them. So it's impacted my home life. Mm -hmm. um, but since lockdown, it's allowed time to be a bit more um, evenly spread. Okay. Because my bosses are very good at Northern. That they, I get the work done. They've never really been that fussed about when I do it at nine o'clock in the morning or nine o'clock at night. Right. So okay. As long as the work's done, they've been pretty happy. Okay. Um, and I think the brewery work, I can then fit around. So I'm, I'm pretty much nine till, well, I'm nine till six, nine till seven on calls with my day job. Okay. And then I fit the brewery stuff in around that. So it's, well, yeah, pretty. <laughs> yeah, and, and I've tried not to do too many weekends recently, but there's been a few, a few busy weekends as well. So yeah. I'll, I'll get in a broad weekend. So you know, I, I wouldn't advise this to anybody. <laughs> if they said, should we do two full time jobs? I would say, no. So, <laughs> so the advice is, don't do what I do. <laughs> don't do what I do. But I'm, am I going to change? Not sure. But don't, definitely don't have two full time jobs. But like you were saying at the beginning, you love what you're doing in the, in the, the day job one full-time London job yeah I and mean you love I'm, what you're doing in the other one so I'm building a 
carbon voluntary carbon marketplace for projects to raise funds to invest money into capturing carbon dioxide for the future of mm. the environment so on my day job there you know it's not i'm not doing a banking thing really i'm i'm trying mm. to build out an ecosystem to allow projects so people that want to launch firms that will capture co2 Mm-hmm. And then store it for you know long periods of time mm-hmm. to raise money to then invest into that technology to then capture carbon dioxide. Mm-hmm. So from a day job point of view, so you know it it is it, brilliant. I can't yes. can't complain. They they're allowing me to do something that is, yeah. you know, the right thing for the world. You know, it sounds a bit grand, but you know that's, that's yeah, what they're looking at. And they're a bank, <laughs> and they know that they they can. They, yeah. they can afford to spend some time and money on this, so they want to. Mm. So, as a as a as a business to work for, they've got the right they've got the right mentality, the right thinking, and they want to do the right thing. And they really do want to do the right thing. I, I totally believe what they want to do there. So, they're allowing me to to start building that out, and we're we're, we're running mm. some prototypes at the minute. We'll go live at the end of the year. Whereas in my day job, my other day job, my brewery job. I'm in the innovation space looking at new hops and working with the local hop farmers. And yeah, yeah. Herefordshire has got over half of the UK hop growing territory and oh. we're surrounded by 26 different families that grow hops. And we're involved with the majority of those yeah. you know, around their new product development and how that's going to change. And we, we get hops you know, that are even from a single plant that we brew with. Then go and drink the beer with the with the growers and the and the merchants and say this is what it tastes like. So we're right in at the beginning of the of that process. Yeah. Which for me is you know that's I can't I can't want anything else. I guess the thing is if you you know if you love what you're doing then you've got the energy to do it, haven't you? Like you know that point where you said you're miserable. I I, I know exactly what you mean. I used to come back from my job and just be you know lethargic and. No, you know, not not really wanting to do anything, no energy for anything, and a bit miserable and stuff. And then now you go out and shoots, and it's knackering, and it's really you know full on days and physical and everything. But you come back and you like full of energy because you're doing something you love doing. Yeah, and it, and it's your it's your choice as well. So I get, I mean, look, Kate's been Kate has been brilliant. She's always looked at what I do, and she knows me very well. Mm. and she spotted the miserableness i don't mm. think i spotted it myself i don't know what right. you were like when you were thinking you know what i don't really want to do this anymore but somebody needed to give me that nudge mm. to say come on you can do something else yeah and that, I, I think i needed the nudge of of a partner just to say you're not this isn't right for you go and do something else mm. and then mm. support me whilst bouncing around through you know the other things and the poker and the you know setting <laughs> brewery and you know yeah, yeah, yeah. all of that you, I've I've needed somebody just to sort of be stable and say yeah that's a good thing you might not want to do that <laughs> and I'm not sure I'm the best at listening so you know it, it obviously goes in eventually and then it's my idea and then it's a brilliant idea <laughs> Whereas, yeah so but I think as well is when you're like your job if you're tired and knackered but you're loving it you can cope yeah yeah yeah, and so. and you and you care personally about everything that you do and then the yeah. outcome of it. So there's no way that you're going to put out a product that you're not happy with. Yeah. So you're going to spend the extra time to do it. And I think that's the difference when you properly love something. Yeah. And that can be a detriment because it can slow down getting product out the door and it might take you a couple of hours longer than it should do to edit something. But yeah. you want it to be perfect because everyone is a child. Everyone is something that you've created. Yeah. And you need it to be perfect. Yeah. And I think that, that can be a bit of a detriment sometimes. You've got to try and figure out where to draw the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And I'm not very good at that. That's, that's, <laughs> but that's you know, you, you know, you've got to know what your failings are. Yeah. And I think that's important to be able to look at yourself and go, yeah, I could improve there. Yeah. Okay. And, and you don't need other people to tell you. You generally know, don't you? You know what, somewhere, what you, don't you? But you don't always want to admit it and you don't want to listen to that bit. But yeah, if you've got yeah. someone that just says, right you need to change then you can sort of go ah yeah you're right (laughs) yeah yeah and then it's having it's been able to then figure out where to go how do you get that information how do you change and i think as you get slightly older it's it's harder for me to then think can i change Mm. um but i think we all you know you can that's yeah that's the thing you can you don't need to stay doing the same thing no absolutely absolutely well we're just coming up for an hour. Wow. Believe it or not. That's <laughs> talk all day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, it's been really, uh, really interesting. Thank you. You're very welcome. Um, Thanks for having me. 
librarylayons.co.uk on the Facebook, on the Instagram, on the Twitter. Uh, 30 pubs within a 15 mile radius of uh, of Ledbury, so people can find it in most places. I know it's in the Prince. It's in the Prince of Wales. Yeah, Russ, yeah. Russ has been a great supporter of ours uh, in Ledbury. Yeah. It's also at the Seven Stars and the, uh, the other pubs do sell our beer in other Ledbury. Pubs so are the Feathers available. as well. The Feathers have been uh, immense. The last few years, we've had three taps at the Feathers. Oh, I didn't realise you were in the Feathers. Actually. Yeah, so those yeah. those three pubs were, you know, fine. And then around, you know, we're, we we like our beer to be sold in pubs. We don't sell it in bottles. Mm-hmm. Our beer only goes to pubs. So right. if you want to drink it, drink it where it should yes, be drunk, in a, in a pub. In Ledbury. In Ledbury. <laughs> nice, thanks, Anne. You're welcome. Thank Cheers. you. You've been listening to the Thriving Three Counties podcast with me, Dan Barker. You can find links to all the episodes and show notes over at danbarkerstudios.com forward slash podcast. If you've enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show and connect more people in the region. Thank you very much for your time listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.